The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. Corporate sponsors may from time to time be the subject of buy and or sell recommendations in J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks newsletter. However, as host of Turning Hard Times into Good Times, J. Taylor retains the right to provide objective opinions on behalf of subscribers and to his listeners audience regardless of sponsorship. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. You can learn more about me and my work by going to webeatthestreet.com, and you can subscribe to my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, there as well. You can also learn about two of my partners who do excellent work in two different fields, Roger Wiegand, who is the author of Trader Tracks, and that's a commodities futures-orientated newsletter, uh, and Chen Lin, who writes, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Chen has some ingenious investment ideas and has done extremely well for him and for himself and his family over the last number of years. Uh, Chen will be in the last quarter of this show today. We'll be talking about a gold stock that he thinks is, offers tremendous upside potential. And Roger Wiegand will also be with us to talk about a an agricultural commodity that he thinks people can make a lot of money in if they're willing to take the risk inherent in that investment. Well, today's special guest is Republican Congressman Ron Paul. He's the only presidential candidate, in my view, who espouses honest money. He's certainly the only presidential candidate of our day who thinks that money is really, really important and that our monetary system needs some fixing. So we'll talk to Dr. Paul during the middle two segments of this week's show, and he'll be talking to us about such topics as the dollar, the Federal Reserve, gold, and how people should invest their money given this environment that we find ourselves in. I don't think you're going to want to miss Dr. Paul. He is an honest politician, or maybe that doesn't make him a politician. Maybe he's more of a statesman. I certainly think him think of him as a statesman more than a politician. But before we get to Dr. Paul, we want to go to our special guest, our weekly guest, Lena Monasaridis from Greece, from Athens. Lena talks to us about uh, the markets from a European perspective. She provides that every week uh, for us. Uh, you should go to spikecharts.com to learn more about Lena's work. That's spikecharts.com. Lena, well, welcome to our show again. Lena, are you there? Yes, hello, Jay. Oh, welcome, nice welcome, Lena, to our show again. Uh, glad to have <laughs> you with us. Uh, before, before we get into some of the topics that we'd like to talk about here, I'd just okay. like you to tell us just a little bit about, uh, perhaps about Spike Charts. Uh, what do you do at Spike Charts and who can benefit from it? Sure. Okay, um, SpikeTrace is a new service which offers basically real-time news and price alerts delivered directly to your mobile phone. So wherever you are, you don't actually need to be on your screen to know what is going on around the world and around the market data. Um, the news is always with you, uh, and you can see set up your own price levels and get notified when they're reached. Also, we provide historical market data in the form of snapshots, and they're based on major economic news. It's a new project, Jay, and we're really excited about it, and all the traders' feedback has been exceptional. Well, that means you can never get away from your work, though, right? No. <laughs> you're out drinking your coffee in sunny Greece, and you've got your mobile phone with you, and you get the release of ECB or another major economic event. So it's great. 
Well, a mixed blessing, perhaps. I mean, sometimes we do need to get away from our work. Do you ever get away from yours? Me personally, um, unfortunately not. I mean, during the weekend, yes, because the markets are closed, so I'm quite more relaxed. But during the week, um, no. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, it certainly seems like an attractive service that I would like to learn more about, and maybe you can talk about it from time to time. Getting to the subjects that we're interested in more in this uh, this, uh, radio broadcast, you and I were talking before we went on the air a little bit about the what's taken place in the last week since the G20 met. Okay. We noticed that there's a stronger dollar, the gold price has gotten weaker, uh, and the stock market has gotten a lot weaker, and you had some theories about that. Would you care to explain that to our listeners? Sure. First of all, I think that at the moment the dollar is risk aversion's best friend. And why I say that is because in recent days, um, and that has been proven many times, after important economic events take place, like, for example, G20 now or other major economic data, it um, always uh, fails to boost investors' confidence, and therefore investors turn to dollar again as a safe haven. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, I call it what we are, uh, what we are, uh, were uh, experiencing uh, in the last few days. I called it post G20 euphoria, mm-hmm. because during the G20 we saw markets rallying, and investors smiling and keep buying. The, the, the markets were up, uh, stocks, futures, futures, equities. But however, after all the reassurance given by President Obama and the other world leaders that they are united and ready to tackle the current economic crisis. Investors lost their newfound confidence in light of new negative banking results. So the dollar and the yen seem to be the winners of the G20 so far, as both currencies have gained from the need of investors to buy their assets as a safe haven. So we're seeing this trend continue then, Lena, the one that we've been talking about. We talked about it last week where you see the global economy contracting, uh, mm-hmm. or at least the, a lot of the markets contracting and people going to, to the dollar. Uh, and it's sort of like, a, as we explained, or at least as I talked about last week, a short covering of the dollar in a way. Do you see exactly. that continuing then? Yeah, because don't forget that IMF only a few days ago um, warned uh, that the uh, economy, the world economy will contract more than 1.7% at the end of the year. And also the World Bank um, done the same. They were keep warning that, uh, you know, the economy is going to fail and uh, there's not going to be a recovery, not just yet. And investors took all this data in and realized that, okay, G20 was good. I mean, it's very easy to be cynical about the whole thing, isn't it? But one good thing that happened at G20 is that we actually saw all the world leaders together and cooperating, or so they said to us. However, um, investors are not easily convinced, Jay. This is what I see, and this is what I see by talking to other traders daily, that they have not been convinced that um, the recovery is soon uh, and it's going to happen anytime soon. Well, you say that our world leaders got together. They certainly did, and maybe on the (laughs) surface they seem to agree, but uh, there's there's quite a a lot of divergence with respect to the ideas of some of these leaders. For example, the Russians talked about the need to go back to a gold standard. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, Ms. Merkel had certain ideas that were different from uh, from the French leaders, for example, and the Germans still had, uh, uh, or the um, uh, the Brits had a, still a different idea. Would you care to comment a little bit on the different ideas that are, that are maybe inherent that we didn't really didn't really hear much about, but might be there, uh, might be in discussion there behind the scenes? I think there is always going to be the um, you know. In front of the cameras, everything looks fine, right? I mean, they were there all together smiling and saying that we are, you know, cooperating and we are ready to tackle the economic crisis and we are united. However, we do know that there's a lot of differences between the EU and the U.S. and also the Russia and China as well. And uh, we did see um, Merkel, Brown, and Sarkozy um, made all comments about uh, the current turmoil and how pessimistic well, they were, and you know that because we said about the Merkel uh, comments about Obama's new policies. And also French President um, Sarkozy raised the issue of a world monetary system, as we both discussed, in the future. However, the U.S. will never let that happen, and we see that um, nobody really believes that things will get better, um, and people have their own opinions. So EU and U.S. are quite different in their own policies, and we see that EU feels to be threatened from U.S., and U.S. tries not to promote the new world financial system because they have their own agenda there. 
But, Lena, do you think the United States can carry this on indefinitely? I mean, can we continue to do what we've been doing, living beyond our means, printing huge amounts of money, and now we're not measuring them even in hundreds of billions of dollars anymore, but in trillions of dollars? Can the system go on indefinitely, or is it going to break down eventually? And if if, if your answer is it will break down, then what happens? Where, where do you think this thing might go, and, and what markets might benefit from it? Uh, that's the thing, that uh, it cannot go on for a long time, I don't think. And it's not just me. Many economists predict that, and they say that the situation that it is right now, we want to believe that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that there is something good going to happen out of all this mess. Mm-hmm. However, we don't see it like that because um, due to the new stimulus packages that they are promoted uh, across U.S., about pumping more money into the system, this, as you know, is going to do the opposite and actually break the system one day. I believe that I don't, I don't want to be uh, pessimistic and I don't want to say, oh, you know, the, the end is coming and all that. However, at the moment it's not doing very well to give us some kind of um, optimism. And if it does fail, then we're probably going to, you know, go back to the early 30s when the Great Depression was there and, and see that we have not learned from the earlier mistakes. What I, I think I hear you saying is that the, uh, the establishment is going to push the system as far as it can until it can no longer push it any further. Is that's, that... that's what it feels like, yeah. Jay. Honestly, yeah. that's what it feels like. Yeah. And, yeah. and there is the other issue, of course, about uh, promoting a new world currency. And I really don't believe that the U.S. wants it. Of course, the U.S. don't want it because Gaithner said it himself that mm-hmm. you know he believes that the U.S. dollar should be the dominant currency for now. Yeah. However, I don't really believe that uh, anyone believes it. Even the Chinese don't believe it. <laughs> I don't think. You know, they're not. They're not in. It is not in their interest at the moment for that to happen. They're not ready yet. I don't think. Of course, the establishment, the status quo, always wants things to remain the same. In the United States, yeah. in the post World War II, Great Britain, and the U.S. basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically orchestrated the world the way they wanted it uh, and the way we wanted it for our own purposes. But uh, if we abuse that, and it seems certainly the U.S. has been abusing its yes. privilege, uh, it's not going to last forever. I think we're running out of time, Alina. It's been a pleasure having you with us. I look forward to having you Excellent. next week. It's and great uh, coming up next, folks, so we've got our special guest this week is Thank Texas you. Congressman Ron Paul to talk to us about dishonest money created by the Federal Reserve and how that has set us in this global mess that Lena just talked about. Don't go away. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Business Owners Speak fills a long-neglected niche in the national media coverage of American business. The myriad of challenges and opportunities facing small business owners and entrepreneurs are addressed at ground level in a positive, business-like manner. We face the realities of meeting payroll and being completely dependent upon the success of a business for which we alone are responsible. So loosen your tie, business owner, bring along your own experiences, and log on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Network. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you load 16 tons? What 
day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to jtaylor at miningstocks.com. That's the website for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm delighted to tell you that my guest today is Congressman Ron Paul. After what I think was a very successful bid for the presidency, I don't think Ron Paul needs any real introduction from me, but to give some of you who may not know Ron all that well just a little bit of his background, let me just say that he's a 10-term congressman from Texas. I guess there's nothing unusual about that. Uh, He is a physician who delivered some 4,000 human beings into the world. I think that's quite unusual because most congressmen come to Washington by way of the legal profession. But I think the most unusual aspect of Congressman Paul is that he takes his oath of office to uphold the Constitution perhaps more seriously than anyone else in Washington. Always before deciding whether or not to vote for a bill, Ron asks himself whether or not it is constitutional to do so. If it is not constitutional, that's the end of the story. He won't vote for it. His reverence for the Constitution is no doubt why Judge Napolitano called Ron, and I quote the Thomas Jefferson of our day, But I think the New York Post summed up Ron's uniqueness best when it said, Ron Paul is a politician who cannot be bought by special interests. Welcome, Ron, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, Thank you, Jay. Good to be with you. Uh, Dr. Paul, this show is really about trying to identify the real causes of America's economic malaise and and then finding solutions to help individuals uh, protect their wealth and increase it if possible. And then also, though, from a bigger picture, trying to find ways that America can get back onto its uh, back to its constitutional roots, which I know is a very, a very big concern of yours. But before we get to those issues, I just want to thank you for running for president. I don't know how many people that I was surprised to learn were voting for you or said they were, and they were going to, even though it meant they had to write your name in. Uh, my wife, uh, uh, the wife of a banker friend of mine, for example, a Jewish Russian immigrant who works with my wife at a major financial institution in New York, said that he is, was voting for you, and he saw a lot of dangers that, uh, that he recognized from his days in Russia creeping mm-hmm. into our, into our uh, political environment. A college kid down the block from where I live had a Ron Paul sign in front of his house, and my son's roommate uh, at St. John's College in Annapolis, who I thought was somewhere left of Karl Marx, was a, a real big supporter of yours. So I think that you have given us a hope of returning to the values that made America great. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. I appreciate we... that very much. I think that makes a point that the Constitution brings us together, whether we consider ourselves left or right, and that's what I think is so neat about our our system, except we're disappointed that we don't follow it. Yeah, indeed. Uh, before we get to the real issues um, uh, of, you know, the central, central issues that this program is involved with, I just want to ask you, well, how do you feel about your presidential bid? Well, I feel I feel good about it, uh, but uh, it, it's sort of a mixed feeling because uh, a lot of people were, um, you know, uh, upset that I just didn't continue in the process and do it as an independent. Uh-huh. There's always always some enthusiasm. You can't satisfy everybody's enthusiasm, uh-huh. and there were shortcomings in the campaign that was uh, my fault and others. But overall, I think I was. Uh, utterly shocked, just as you were sort of expressing yeah. surprise. Some people uh, gave support that you never would have dreamed of. That made me feel very good that uh, a lot of people would tell me that they had never been involved in politics before, never voted before, and they didn't trust anybody. And uh, so I think uh, that was exciting. But probably the most interesting is the fact that the young people are still interested. Young people still come to Washington. They'll come to see me, and I'm invited to campus all the time. So that gives me hope for the future because the young people are willing to, to look at the problems and maybe do something about it. The people locked in the system, I, I don't expect a whole lot to happen. And mm-hmm. People that are in Washington right now, they've created this mess, so I don't expect them to solve it. 
Indeed. Uh, I mean, the fact that there are so many young people, uh, I would say the fact that you're not so easy to get a hold of anymore, Ron, and talk to <laughs> We used to talk to you, Al Corlin, and I almost every other week, and I think I take it as a good sign that, that you're very difficult to get a hold of, that you're on national television frequently, and that the word is getting out there. I think you have uh, begun an educational process that is essential to our country if we are going to get back to the to the very basic values that made us strong and the freedom that allows us to to be who who God has created us to be uh, with our individual talents and so forth. Well, let's jump into more of the, the basic issues of what this program is about. Uh, first of all, we hear comparisons these days about our current recession. Some people are even suggesting that it is, in fact, a lot of mainstream people are suggesting that uh, what we're going through or what we're entering into could be as bad or even worse than the Great Depression. Do you think that is overstating our current crisis? No, I don't. I think that we're barely into it, and I think the bubble was bigger than ever, and it's probably something the world has never faced before because we had a single fiat currency, the dollar, that had the privilege of uh, inflating for many, many decades, and it was used as the reserve currency. And so, therefore, uh, we affected the whole world and uh, caused so many dislocations. So if other countries took our dollars and believed that they were very rich and used uh, that as their reserves, they then inflated. In many ways, uh, China is as vulnerable as we are, although they worked hard, produced goods and services, and they saved a lot of money, uh, but, it, but they got paid in paper. So that's worldwide, and that system has collapsed. I think the post-Bretton uh, Woods system that you know started in 1971 when Bretton Woods broke down, I think that system is done. I don't think they can repair it. They're pretending that they can. The dollar, uh, which has been used before, is still used, and people are clinging to the dollar. But uh, the financial system that uh, it was based on, it's gone and I believe that the dollar will go to at this rate unless something is done radically to change it and to uh, and to restore confidence in the in the dollar. But for now, uh, it's it's limping along. But I think uh, uh, the debt has not been liquidated. The malinvestment has not been liquidated. We're doing all the things that uh, we did in uh, in the depression time to delay the correction. We don't believe in free markets liquidating bad debt. Uh, we just prop it up, and uh, I think we're destined to destroy the dollar. I mean, just look at the trillions of dollars that have been created in this past year. I mean, it just can't happen. I tell people, if it does work, and I'm wrong, that means Americans never have to work again. You know, all we have to do is get on the gravy train, pass out dollars, and tell everybody to produce for us, and we'll pay you for it. Doesn't seem logical, does it? And, you know, Ph.D. in economics have a hard time grasping that, Ron. My, my mother, who went to through her sophomore year in high school, understands it. And when she saw you, uh, some of your remarks on television, she says, you know, Jay, he's the only one that makes any sense. So it's sort of ironic that people with the highest education sometimes have the most difficulty in grasping the most basic truths. Uh, you, you mentioned the post-Bretton Woods era in 1971. Of course, that was what I call Bretton Woods, too, because that's when Nixon took us off the gold standard. Initially, we had an international gold standard when Bretton Woods was first set up. Is this the first time in history that we've that the whole world has been on a fiat system, a non-gold-backed or a non-metal-backed uh, currency system? It's the only one that I know of, and, and it's uh, and as pervasive as it has been. I don't think anything ever comes close. I mean, in the, in the very, very old days, in, in Roman times, and when the world was much smaller, uh, they they had a lot of disruptions. But it wasn't quite as uh, extreme because their inflation and distortions would become with maybe clipping coins or uh, diluting the metal and, and things like that. So there would uh, still be some metal value behind yeah, the currency, yeah. behind the paper. And, and this time... Uh, I guess we fooled a lot of people for a long time, but we're not fooling them anymore. So that's why people finally found that this was a total house of cards, and the house of cards has collapsed. And now we have to look for the foundation. But the dollar, which I consider a very sand-like foundation, uh, it's not going to work. I don't think we can rebuild this uh, on the dollar again, even though people have parked a lot of money in the dollar. But I sort of think what's going on is... The Fed creates trillions. We're not allowed to monitor them. They're secret. They're beyond any 
any type of transparency or uh, auditing by the by the by the Congress. I think they pass that money out to foreigners to prop up the dollar, you know, to keep the system going, believing that they can rebuild this. And this week, uh, the G20 is meeting. I think uh, there's a bunch of them there that think they're going to patch it together uh, just by producing more money. The the, uh, IMF asked for, uh, you know, $250 billion, and we're arguing, no, that's not enough. They need $500 billion. I mean, the whole thing just is so bizarre. That's why I just don't think this, the answer is going to come very quickly. Ron, uh, the Treasury Secretary of FDR, in fact, uh, said that admitted that the that the New Deal was a was a total failure. He he mentioned after eight years of of the F, of FDR's policies that in fact unemployment was as high then as it had been eight years earlier, and he mentioned that we had this huge amount of debt to boot. Why in the world, if we look back and you know at the 1930s, are we following the same? In the same footsteps, boy. You know that's that's the major question, and I think it comes from the uh, delusion of Keynesians. Although Keynesian came in vogue in the thirties, uh, you know the Keynesian approach of Bernanke and his talking about uh, you know to Milton Friedman by saying, um, you know, you were right, Milton Friedman, you were right. The Fed caused the problem. Mm. But, you know, we won't we won't do it again. So to them, they are not repeating it. And I guess we have to concede to them that they're not repeating everything. They're just doing it more excessively. Yeah. You know, so, yes, they, to us, it hasn't, they haven't changed a thing. So that's why uh, the, they're inflating uh, much, much faster than they – even though they tried to inflate a lot in the Depression, it, it didn't work. But they propped up prices and salaries, and they used government programs and more regulations, and just went on and on. So we're doing all those things in the government management. Uh, but the, the big difference is – uh, that in their minds is that they uh, they are massively inflating more than they ever did in the, in the 30s. But to, to answer the question on why do why do governments and peoples repeat the same mistakes? You know, sometimes that's just sort of a mystery. You'd think they'd wake up. Indeed, uh, you know, Ed Griffin, um, um, who is the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island, was our first guest on this series, and. You know, Ed spoke of the Federal Reserve. He said that the Federal Reserve, which was created in 1913, uh, has certain stated purposes that uh, have been a total failure. But on the other hand, if you look at the unstated purposes of the Fed, that is to bail out the banks and the, the, the very wealthy uh, banking interest in the United States, it's been a total, uh, it's been a total success. Uh, I know that you've introduced legislation, I think almost every, every term in Congress, to, um, to get rid of the Federal Reserve, in fact, um, and, and, and that would be on constitutional grounds, I believe. Is that right, Ron? Yeah, it would be because it's not authorized, and uh, it's been argued over the years. But uh, every time it uh, goes to the courts, the courts always rules in favor of the uh, central bank, and that's how uh, how we got here. And the bill that I have that would get rid of the Fed, it's there to make a point. Uh, even I don't advocate getting rid of the Fed tomorrow, mm-hmm. but the re uh, the reason that we have to talk about it is the Fed may end, or the dollar system may end, and if it ends catastrophically, you know, because of the rejection of the dollar, that's a lot worse than coming to our senses. The, another bill that I've just recently introduced is, I, I think, the proper interim step, and that is to open up the books uh, to allow us to know exactly what the Fed is doing. Mm. Everybody has heard in the news how there have been lawsuits filed against the Fed uh, to tell us exactly how much money they created and where where they sent it, and they just stiff us on it. They just no, we don't have to. And they're right under the law. Mm. And I've told I told them in person, you know, in committee. I say, you know, under the law, you you don't have to, but under the Constitution, you should. You yeah. Know? And they they don't tell us a thing. And my bill would be to able to audit the Fed and repeal the portion of the code that says that they're exempt from any auditing. Okay, we're going to have to take a uh, station break here. Uh, Don't go away. We'll be right back with Ron Paul. We're going to talk to him about some more issues uh, that are affecting the economy, the Federal Reserve, and and what you might do both on a personal basis as uh, as well as for your country to help get us back on course. We'll be right back.
whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to jtaylor at miningstocks.com. That's the website for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm here again with Congressman Ron Paul. Ron, before the break, uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, Ed Griffin's uh, views of the Federal Reserve and how the Federal Reserve essentially, you know, based on their stated goals, have been a total failure. They were supposed to have sort of, you know, low unemployment, be able to manipulate the money supply to keep inflation low and to keep unemployment at full, full levels. Clearly, you know, we're, we're running up against 10% unemployment now. Um, you know, inflation has been very, very high over the years. The dollar's eroded in its purchasing power very, very significantly since the Federal Reserve came into being. Would you agree with Ed that, in fact, uh, the Federal Reserve has been a failure? I mean, setting aside constitutional issues, which you've, you, you know, you've ejected to the Fed on, the, on that basis, what about its, its practical implications? Has the Fed been a success uh, in its stated objectives, uh, I think you would answer no. But then uh, what about its unstated objectives? I mean, would you care to comment on that? Well, I guess uh, it depends on when you ask this question. Uh, if we'd have asked this question, you know, 10 years ago, I, I consider this problem that we're dealing with now, the immediate problem, starting with the break of the NASDAQ, and uh, we really haven't had any real growth since then. You're talking about 2000, when the NASDAQ right. was at 5000 and it slipped down to about 1000. Yeah. 
and never recovered. And never recovered. But I'm, right. you know, at that point, you know, they had the recessions coming and going, and there seemed to be a lot of wealth in the country. And they say, well, see, we achieved our objectives. Unemployment is low, and people are wealthy, and we all have fancy televisions, all that. But I would say that would be an illusion, and it wasn't. It was almost in spite of the Fed, because it was deceit in the sense that people were willing to loan us money. We became as a consumer nation. We went into debt, but then those of us who understood Austrian economics knew that it was an illusion. It was all based on debt, and it was all based on on a financial bubble. So I would consider them uh, completely uh, you know, a, a complete failure. Mm-hmm. That uh, if it appeared that they were successful for a while. Even this whole idea of the lender of last resort and all, it's proven that they, that they just can't do it. I mean, they are the source of a great deal of evil. I mean, not only financial, but political evil. Just think of all the things politicians have been encouraged to do because they knew the Fed would back them up. And, you know, whether it's uh, fighting wars overseas or welfare system runaway here at home, all the things that we do encourages big government. And that's the undermining of liberty. So I consider that uh, those individuals who understand it and when other people wake up and realize what's really happened is that our freedoms have been undermined, you can lay a lot of the blame uh, at the door of the Federal Reserve System for this. Well, Ed Griffin suggests that, in fact, uh, the unstated goals of the Federal Reserve, and I'm not sure if you can comment on that if they're not stated, but... The unstated goals of the Federal Reserve were essentially to bail out the bankers. We know that in 1907, J.P. Morgan bailed out the banking system, didn't like to do that very much, and really wanted to socialize the risks of the banking industry. Um, and, uh, and so from that perspective, uh, Griffin believes that the Fed has been a tremendous success. Well, certainly we're seeing the taxpayer getting hit really hard, and only not, not only now, but far more in the future, to pay for these trillions of dollars that are being created out of nothing to uh, to bail out the system. So, do you have any comments on on the Fed? Yeah, well, I have a little more trouble uh, outguessing all their motives. Yeah, and especially since it's over a long period of time, you yeah. know, uh, it, the uh, Fed uh, it came into existence in 1913. The evolution from 1913 up to 71 was not, you know. Uh, all of a sudden, it was gradual. They'd change reserves. They would go to uh, Bretton Woods, and then that would break down. So uh, I I don't know, even if those were the unintended goals stated in 1913, mm-hmm. most of them weren't around to find out whether it was going to work or not. But I, I see it more based on... Uh, uh, bad ideas. I, I think there's a, a lot of people who are well-intended, but there's a lot of people also that want to bail out, you know, and believing. And then they rationalize and say, yeah, we got to be taken care of. Why do we pass all this stuff in Washington? And uh, do the liberals always preach that you want to take care of rich bankers on Wall Street? And, <laughs> and all? No, they don't preach that at all. Yeah. But all of a sudden, they they say, well, you know, the little guy's going to be hurt, too. We yeah. have to keep the system together. So I, I think uh, the greatest uh, harm has been uh, just people who have really misunderstanding uh, of how this works. And that just invites people who will manipulate the system and, and, bene- and, and to their benefit. Not necessarily evil intent, but just a misunderstanding to a great extent. I think I would be, I think I would agree with that because I certainly know a lot of people on Wall Street who are, who are not bad people per se. They definitely believe that this is the right policy and it's for the good of the nation. If my neighbor's house is for sale and nobody buys it, why if, you know, he can't, he can't uh, finance the mortgage? Then it's better if the government socializes it so that my house values don't. Well, Jay, I bet you you've run into people who have been in banking business. I know I have. If you talk to them about monetary policy and, and the Federal Reserve and the financial system, they hardly know anything about it. But they're technicians. You know, they know how to take deposits and shift things around. But they're really not much into uh, how fraction reserve banking is uh, undermining the system at all. They're just very good technicians rather than than understanding how how international banking really works. Right, I'd like to switch a little bit to uh, more investor-related questions. You know, as, as one who picks stocks and tries to do well for my own family and for my subscribers to my newsletter, one of the main concerns I have is whether our system is inflating or deflating. We've seen uh, quite a bit of deflation in the financial assets. I mean, a lot of deflation in the financial assets with the Dow below half of where it was at its peak. At a dinner in San Francisco back in November 2007, I recall asking both you and Mark Faber whether we might 
get another Paul Volcker at the Fed as we had in 1980. I mean, that's when the system was still inflating back there in, in 2007. Volcker slowed the money supply drastically uh, such that my first mortgage back in 1981 was a 17.5% mortgage. Both Mark and you thought that that was politically impossible, that we weren't going to see another Paul Volcker rise uh, anytime soon. So do you still see rising levels of inflation as inevitable at this stage, or is it possible that the deflationary forces may be so strong that they simply cannot be overcome by for quite a while until massive amounts of debt is written off of the books, as in fact happened in the 1930s. You know, we went from 1929 until World War II, essentially, in a depression. And I would argue that I, that the World War II, maybe, you know, some people argue that was the effective stimulus that caused us to grow again. But I would argue that the main thing that took place during that time was that massive amounts of debt was worked off the books, and that made it possible for regrowth of the economy. Uh, what are your thoughts? Are, are we destined yeah, I, to have I, I, a lot of inflation? Um, and if so, how soon might we see that? Yeah, I think conditions are a lot different. I think you're right that debt was liquidated during the war, but after the war they cut spending by two-thirds and taxes by one-third, so that had a lot to do with it too. But the liquidation debt was important. I think the uh, reason why we have this uh, continuous uh, debate is uh, even within our own camp, we have different perceptions of what we're talking about when we talk about inflation or deflation. And I take a very strict definition of it, and I just look to the money supply. And uh, the consumer price index sometimes goes up, sometimes goes down uh, with inflation. During the 20s, uh, and there was no price inflation, but there was a lot of inflation because the money supply was going up and there was a, a distortion. But, uh, no, I don't think... I don't think too many people who are believers in inflation are too shocked or are surprised to see tremendous amount of liquidation of debt, which to some people they call that deflation. Mm-hmm. But uh, now if, if, if Bernanke had not really, really pumped uh, and just allowed bankruptcies to occur, uh, then, then the money supply might have shrunk, which it did, yeah, yeah. you know, to a degree in the depression. But the money supply is not shrinking, uh, but people are feeling less rich. Uh, their wealth has been, been shrinking, but they weren't all that wealthy to begin with. So I would say we have inflation in, in the soon prices will start rising. Prices are rising in medical care and food right now. So I expect inflation to continue, but, but there certainly is, uh, deflation of value in the financial instruments. Do you see a, a, a danger of hyperinflation? Could things get so out of hand that we have a, a German Weimar Republic situation on our hands? I keep thinking that we're not that stupid and that we just print, out, print money, but right now I think the more unemployment there is, that will never cut unemployment checks. We have a vehicle today, which we didn't have in the 30s, to pass out money, mm. uh, and that is uh, you know, through Social Security and pay for the medical care and unemployment benefits. Uh, they, they, didn't, they couldn't quite do it like that in the 30s, but right now they will not hesitate for a minute uh, to not pass out money. Uh, Bernanke said he'd use helicopters, but of course that's a cliche. In a way, it, it will be passed out, so that's why I, I expect uh, the value of the dollar go down. So as long as you see the money supply growing, uh, the value has to go down. And right now, it's it's sort of the uh, velocity of money or the propensity for people to spend the money. People are reluctant. Uh, even wealthy people who have a lot of money in the bank, they say, I don't know what's going to happen next year, so I'm not going to spend my money. So yeah. once that attitude changes, and that's a psychological point, and that is what you can't predict. As you think as, that... But that will come as long as you keep printing the money. So so do you think if they're... If they... Uh, hand out money, say, to the lower-income groups, the middle-income people, that they will spend that money if there's transfer checks sent out to the masses, that that is a way they could kick-start things and get things to, to move again? Yeah, well, maybe in a negative sense, because yeah. uh, if they have, if they pass out enough money and, and people have to live, what we'll do, if, if they have to have housing and they have to have energy and they have to have food, uh, it, it's just going to push prices up. That's when I think you will get more uh, moving in the, dire- in the direction of uh, the Zimbabwe situation where prices are going up in the midst of a recession or depression. So you can have inflationary depression. Yeah. So if we continue on this course, 
that's what I would expect uh, an inflationary depression. Right now, we're I don't uh, we don't have true deflation, although like we see we see prices going down in stocks and people feel less wealthy, but there's still a lot of money out there. Ron, the uh, you know our show is titled uh, "Turning Hard Times into Good Times." We've talked about a lot of gloom and doom here. We're almost out of time, but. Your most recent book, The Revolution, A Manifesto, my goodness, when I mentioned that word to my friend Al Corlin, we were speaking on the radio the other day, he sort of shuddered. People don't like to hear about revolutions, <laughs> but we had one back in 1776, and it was a good one. Um, you're calling for a revolution, I guess a revolution of thought, not necessarily, I'm sure you don't want a violent revolution. You want a revolution of thinking that, that would bring people back to the Constitution so what can people do? What can individuals do for themselves as well as to try to do their small part to help the nation get back on course? What, what would you suggest? Well, uh, it, it's tough because the government has messed things up so badly and we don't have a, a good currency to work with and they've interfered with uh, the, the system where just willing to work doesn't solve our problem. People should still think about how, what kind of a service they can provide for their neighbors and their friends in order to make a living, whether you can uh, live on a farm or a mechanic or provide some worthwhile service to people. So that's number one, to have that and take care of oneself and take care of one's family. Mm-hmm. My second on the list is is really trying to straighten out the mess. I've invested a lot of time and money and energy into saying that if we do the right things, we don't have to worry about these kind of problems. And that, of course, is is education. But then other people have to try to protect against inflation, and and uh, and, and they can't if they can't change the government overnight, which we can't. Then I say, well, if I if I personally believe the dollar is going down, I think uh, people should own real hard assets, and I believe this for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I've been buying gold and silver since gold was $35 an ounce, and there were a few years where it didn't look like it uh, made a lot of sense. But when you think about the last 100 years, it used to be $20 an ounce, almost $1,000 an ounce. So I would say the trend is pretty definite. I had somebody from the house floor the other day come over and said, tell me what to do, Ron. What am I supposed to do on my investments? Because you can't buy these stocks and i got to do something. And he says, it's too late to buy gold. And I said, well, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd say that. <laughs> because I said, if you, want, if you think it's too late, that means you have confidence that we in the Congress uh, will quit spending excessively and we're going to run up any debt. And he just shrugged his shoulders and said, well, maybe you're right. <laughs> Well, I hear that all the time, too, Ron. People think it's too late to buy gold, but given what you were saying the government's going to do and their insatiable desire to inflate, I have to say I I don't agree with that at all. I think gold is going to go much higher. And In fact, the purchasing power of gold has been rising very dramatically. If you look at gold, it will buy three times more oil than it would have bought before the Lehman Brothers collapse. Actually, we're out of time, folks. Ron, I'm so sorry. I wish we had another, another half hour, an hour or two to talk with you. You always have so much to say. I want to thank you so much for sharing your precious time. I know it's not easy for you these days to, to sacrifice this time, uh, but it's so much appreciated, and I know that people who listen to this show are going to really enjoy your comments and benefit from them. All the best to you and your family, and God's blessings to you, Ron. Thank you, Jay. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value 
value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, J&S Associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. When you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to jtaylor at miningstocks.com. That's the website for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and uh, would like to suggest that you go to webeatthestreet.com to learn more about me and my work, as well as my two business partners, Roger Wiegand, who writes a newsletter called Trader Tracks. It's a commodity futures orientation and also Chen Lin, who writes a newsletter called What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? Chen has some very ingenious ideas that he'll be explaining to you. Actually, we're very privileged to have both Roger Wiegand and Chen Lin with us today. I'm going to talk to Roger first. Roger, how are you doing? We're doing well. Thank you. Roger, uh, what we want you to do, and you and I talked about this now going forward, is to provide some commodity insights to to our listeners on the uh, usually going to be in the uh, the last segment of our show. Uh, what do you got today? What do you like? I understand there's an agricultural commodity that you might be hot on right now. Would you like to tell our listeners about that? Yes. Uh, in our newsletter, we feature uh, futures and commodities, as you mentioned. Uh, the one that we really like the best right now are the uh, the soybean, soybean segment. Uh, soybeans are driven primarily by the markets in uh, South America and the United States. Uh, the reserves are low uh, in in the in the South America. Uh, they've been hit by taxes and delays. Uh, the weather in the United States is continuing its disruptive cycle, which we feel will go through about 10 years. We've got a cold, wet spring. Uh, the crop preparation, the ground, not the planting, but the preparation of the ground is delayed with the cold. And then now just yesterday, the day before, we hear that there's a hard freeze coming across the southern plains of the U.S., which is going to damage a lot of the wheat crops. Mm-hmm. With the reserves being down and the grain prices being where they are already, we're expecting almost another repeat of last year when soybeans hit $16 and corn and wheat were up correspondingly high. Another big factor this year for planting and farmers to support the bean crop is the fact that the farmers have a lack of credit. Uh, all, the, all the components of cost, diesel, uh, seeds, fuel, fertilizer, all of these things play into uh, whether or not they're going to plant or not plant or how much they plant. Their planting costs are going to be so much higher that this year we like the soybean trade per usual. Uh, this is an annual trade that we put on usually in March. Uh, we use spreads. We buy the November bean contract. Uh, we've got it in position already, and, and as of right now, it's in the green and going well. So we're looking for another good trade in soybeans for 2009. Real quickly, Roger, if you could tell us, how much can an investor make on their money? Uh, Let's say that you're right and and, uh, you have some reasonable upside price movement in the soybeans. How much can an investor make uh, and how much would they have to put down? Well, they would need to open an account somewhere, 3,500 to Mm 5,000 roughly as a minimum. We, we, We suggest if they can afford it that they open an account with a larger amount of cash, but we've had traders open at, at three to 5000 That enables them to buy two soybean spreads. When one gets to the point in price where it will pay all costs on the front end of the trade, we sell one, we hold the other for the upside profit. Mm-hmm. The profits historically and what we've had have run the last three, four years 
anywhere from 100 to 300 percent. We're looking at 1,000 to 1,100 dollars for one spread. We want to make between uh, three and four thousand. Usually, uh, the maximum upside on the trade is capped at five thousand. Okay, Roger. Well, thank you very much for that. You know, uh, folks can learn about this trade and many, many more in Roger's newsletter, TraderTracks.com. And uh, again, WeBeatTheStreet.com for people who would like to subscribe. Roger, look forward to having you back next week. Thank you very much for that excellent insight on the soybean and, and commodity markets. Thank you, Jay. Okay, next we have uh, Chen Lin. Uh, Chen, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Chen, Chen. Great to have you, Chen. Thanks for coming on today. And we're, folks, we're going to have Chen Lin. We're expecting to have him on a regular basis as well. Chen, you mentioned to me that there's a gold stock that you're really hot on right now. Could you tell us the name of it uh, and why you like it? Yeah, it's Apollo Gold. Uh, they are going to start the mill this month, basically in a week or two, and then start pouring gold next month. Okay, it's a Gold Junior operating out of Canada, Timmins. Uh-huh. And the cost, the, the key is the cost of producing gold is very low, around $300 range. Wow, and so with a $900 gold price, you're getting a pretty darn good uh, margin on that, aren't you? Exactly. And then in last week, the conference call, the company mentioned they have an internal expectation of 27,000 ounces of gold to be produced in the first two months of production. Mm-hmm. Then they will ramp up the mill to, you know, from 1500 to 2000 a day. So basically, they will see increasing production. And then I did some calculations based on the 27,000 ounce for the first two months. You're talking about the current gold price, uh, uh, about 17 million mm-hmm. for, the, for, the, for the first, first uh, 16 million for the first two, two months. Even gold dropped $200 from here. It's still oh. 13 million. Okay, so there's a lot of upside potential. What's your price target on this stock? Do you have one? Uh, I, I think if things goes well, it could go to one a dollar. And where is it selling now? Uh, about twenty eight cents, twenty eight twenty nine cents. And what is the symbol on the stock? The stock in the U.S. is AGT. Okay. Apple, Georgetown, and in the in Canada at APG, A, uh, Apple, Peter, George. Okay, excellent, Chen. Well, thank you. I, I hate to cut you off, but we're running out of time. We're going to have you back next week for another another investment idea. Thank you so much. And, folks, you can go to webeatthestreet.com to learn more about Chen and to subscribe to his letter as well. Just before we leave and before we close, I'd like to summarize a little bit of my own views on the markets right now. The whole big debate that Congressman Paul and I talked about a little bit, inflation, deflation, to me, is the most important issue that investors need to keep in mind. And what we're seeing at this point in time is continued wealth destruction from what I can see. I think it's very, very difficult for the policymakers to print money fast enough right now to overcome the enormous amount of wealth destruction that we're seeing. And uh, that could change. Congressman Paul is confident that they will eventually print enough money to pull us out, and then he's worried about hyperinflation. For now, as long as we're in this deflationary environment, the very best kind of thing you can own, the best investment that I know of, is gold mining stocks. And the reason for that is the profit margins surge. They do extremely well in a deflationary environment. We saw that in the 1930s, and we're starting to see it this year. Uh, the last quarter of 2008, some of the major mining companies were talking about declining costs, and they are one of the few industries, one of the few sectors anywhere that is that are reporting higher profits these days. So we love gold mining, and in this week's newsletter, I'm going to talk to my subscribers. I'm going to tell them about a Canadian junior mining company that's selling about 60 cents that I think has the potential to rise by tenfold or so based on its exploration results in Brazil, uh, which I expect are going to be very, very good. To subscribe to my newsletter, you go to Jay Taylor, uh, my newsletter, which is Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Go to webeatthestreet.com. Or you can call my assistant to subscribe to my letter or Chen's letter or Roger's letter uh, at uh, 718-457-1426. So it's webeatthestreet.com or Claudio Bossi, my assistant, at 718-457-1426. Well, that's really about all the time we have this week. Next week, we're going to talk to a Phoenix-based coin dealer named Pat Gorman. Uh, he's going to talk about the practical ways you can buy gold and silver. And I think this is a most basic and important information that you need to protect your family's wealth and to really protect yourselves against what we see coming ahead of us, uh, the potential difficulties that we see that we've just talked about uh, in this program. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. 
Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.